Giants, what I'm about. And what I'm about is an old school physical mentality. Okay? We're going to put a product on the field that the people of this city and region will be proud of. Because this team will represent this area. We'll play fast, we'll play downhill, we'll play aggressive. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes, we'll play every play like it has a history and a life of its own with a relentless competitive attitude. Everybody, good evening. Welcome to Big Blue Avenue. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Hank and Dichter for, I believe this is episode number 12 now in the first week of December. Hank, thank you very much for joining me tonight and welcome to the show. Tom, as always, what can I say? It's a pleasure and you want to know something? You're correct. It is our 12th episode. Hard to believe, guys. It's been, it feels like we've been doing it for a while, even though we haven't really been doing it for too long, but this has been a lot of fun and I'm really excited to get into this week because it's another week where we're coming off a win. It feels like it's been a while since I'm saying that with the Giants on a winning streak, but you know what? I will gladly take it. And without further ado, let's 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 just do our plugs quick. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. You can find all our content there. That includes some New York Giants stuff. We're going to get this episode up there uh, tonight. Remember to give us a follow on our platforms at Review and Preview Sports here on Facebook. Like and subscribe to our page. Follow us on Instagram at Review and Preview. Our audio podcast is on the anchor.fm slash Review and Preview. And there's our YouTube once again. So, Hank, Giants going up against the two seven and one Bengals week 12. And just want to plug this in. We actually have a uh, special guest tonight, Lance Meadow. New York Giants WFAN radio host and host of the Big Blue Kickoff podcast will be joining us at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. That is big, big stuff for us here tonight. And, Hank, without further ado, we will now jump into the game recap between the New York Giants and the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, before we get into the recap, I want to say, if you remember last week, I predicted the Giants would win 28-6. I know, Tom, you had a much more realistic score of 21-10, but – I'm going to say this. I knew I was going to regret that because it was a lot closer than we thought it would be. But anyways, on to the recap. The Giants opening drive, they would draw first blood. They would go 76 yards on nine plays, and they would end up scoring a one-yard touchdown. And, Tom, I don't know about you, but there were a couple things on this drive that really stood out to me. The first one was obviously the big 53-yard catch to Evan Engram. This would be one of a few big catches he would have on the day. And obviously I think when he caught that, it really set the tone. And of course the other thing that stood out to me on this drive, well, actually this one really was multiple plays. It was really Wayne Gallman because as we've mentioned a number of times, this guy, he's not like Saquon where Saquon will try to do something fancy for a big game. Wayne Gallman gets the little yards, but the the little things that he does, it, it seems to help the giants. And this drive was no different, especially on the touchdown that, that he scored on fourth and goal. But first, before we continue, would you like to show us the uh, highlight of the Evan Ingram match? 
Yeah, back to your point on Wayne Gallman, he's not a sexy running back. You know, his first three runs of the game, five, four, and four. These are hard-fought runs. You're not going to see him break loose much ever for like a 60, 70-yard run. It's just not going to happen. But this is why the Giants, I think, are holding on to Evan Ingram. He is realistically, when he plays like this, he's a top-five tight end in the league. And he's more like a wide receiver when he can make plays like this. 95% of tight ends in the league cannot make this play. So as you can see, Daniel Jones is great protection, and Ingram just beats Von Bell down the sideline, and it's just a beautiful play. We'll take you into slow motion so that you can see it again. And this is a third down and short. Third down and short, they're taking a shot. Ingram just outruns a safety, which is, again, something 99% of tight ends can't do. And the safety in the middle of the field there, Jesse Bates, number 30, he's going with the guy in the middle. So that leaves Ingram in a one-on-one situation, able to make that catch and put the Giants inside their five-yard line. Uh, Hank, uh, you can continue, but personally, that was probably my favorite play of that first drive outside of the Goldman touchdown on fourth and goal. Oh, yeah, I would happen to agree with you. I think that really, as I said, it set the tone, and it was one of a lot of brilliant throws that Daniel Jones made. And unfortunately, though, we couldn't really enjoy this touchdown for – for too long because on the Giants ensuing kickoff, Brandon Wilson would return it 103 yards for a touchdown to tie the game at seven. And there's a few things I want to point out about this. This, first of all, it was the longest play in Cincinnati Bengals franchise history. Interestingly, <laughs> crazy, right? That, that, I don't even realize that. I'm like, wow. Yeah, really? neither, did <laughs> neither did I. But I, I guess the Bengals have never really had too many big special teams plays. But I think the the real thing regarding the Giants that happened on this play was Nate Nate Ebner had to leave very early in the game with an injury. He was not on the field for this play. And Tom, that was one of those injuries that I think went really under the radar compared to another one that we will get to much later in the game. This guy, Nate Ebner, is a special teams captain. Losing him was huge, and he kind of knew he had to leave before it was all said and done. So he kind of detected that injury very early, and I think that's why you saw Wilson able to score a couple missed assignments and you know, you had to tie a game, but uh, yeah, you can continue. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. And another point that I'm probably going to eventually make later on in the show is special teams matter. Whether people realize or not, they may be very underrated, but they do matter. It could be the difference between winning and losing a game. Anyways, the next two possessions, the Giants and Bengals pretty much punted. Gio Bernard's first three runs were from zero, were zero, one and two yards. He was stuffed and Brandon Allen, was sacked by by Leonard Williams on second and long, forcing a third and 18. Giants defense, they came out pretty much firing on all cylinders that game. But unfortunately, the Giants following drive, they would go deep into Cincinnati territory, but they had nothing to show for it. And there were a few things that really hurt them. First of all, there was the, there was the incomplete pass. It was attempted for Darius Slayton that he could not haul in. I think him catching would have really made a big difference, but of course, the main problem that happened on this drive was the Evan Ingram fumble. That would have been an 18-yard first down reception. That was recovered by Von Bell. And the real killer about that was it led to points for the Bengals. They would go into Giants territory and settle for a 44-yard Randy Bullock field goal to give him the lead. But you know what? Give the Giants credit. This The next drive shows that they're not really a team that's going to crumble after their own mistakes. They'd get the ball back for their last session of the first half, and they would respond going 11 plays, kicking a field goal on your own, 
This was a 49-yarder by Grand Cano that just barely went through the uprights. And, Tom, I got to tell you, I think earlier in the game, I noticed Graham Gano looked a little bit shaky. Remember, he was on the COVID-19 list. He couldn't really practice in a traditional way. He actually had to pr- kick off a tee in his hotel room. <laughs> Pretty crazy, but, you know, you got to love that. He- he's dedicated. I- I- it's something you love to see. Awful quarantine, for sure. <laughs> I know, I know. But, anyways, he has been money. The score was tied at the half, which... Definitely, it wasn't the most ideal first half, but I definitely think it could have been a lot worse. And now we get to the second. The Bengals started off, they went three and out on their first drive, and they also failed to convert a third and one. Giants would get the ball. They would go deep into Bengals territory. It was 11 plays, 72 yards. And this drive, there there were two things that pretty much stuck out. Obviously, you had an 18-yard run by Wayne Gallman. Again, He doesn't do it the pretty way, but he gets the job done. You love to see it. And then, of course, a huge 44-yard pass to Evan Ingram. This one also on third down, by the way. It was third and six. And, Tom, would you like to show the highlight of that catch as well? Yeah, again, good drive. Gallman had a good run early on. And then you just see a play like this, and it makes you think, wow, like how lucky are we to have this guy? You just wish he'd be more consistent in making these plays, folks. So here we go, and as you can see, in slow motion, a one-on-one again. This is against Brandon Wilson, the guy who actually had the touchdown. And you can see he does a good job, gets the 50-50 ball, hauls it in, something he couldn't do against Philadelphia, folks. He's done that over the last couple of weeks, and that speed, the height, the grip, the catch, and gets it into Cincinnati territory. And again, it was just a good formation, excellent protection up front. And you know what? I was really proud of Daniel Jones making that throw. That would actually be one of his final throws of the football game, Hank. Yeah, unfortunately, not long afterwards, he would end up hurting his hamstring on a seven-yard run. He would try to stay in for a few plays, but he had to be taken out. He was replaced by backup quarterback Colt McCoy following a two-yard pass to Goldman on third and two. Giants drive, of course, would end there stalling. His first pass was... Was it a negative nine-yard pass to Wayne Gallman? And they would unfortunately have to settle for a 40-yard Graham Gano field goal. But on the bright side, they did retake the lead. And, you know, I want to say uh, Colt McCoy, he wasn't – he didn't really make a terrible mistake, but he he was like, you know, sort of that, that, that I think losing Daniel Jones on that drive was a real killer for sure. No, I agree 100%. And Kevin comments, Daniel Jones went out like a champ, even through a pass with his bad leg. I was actually with Kevin when this happened live. Uh, we were watching the game together on Sunday. And, yeah, you could see his leg was kind of just stagnant. He didn't really move it. He couldn't throw uh, properly, but he was still able to complete, again, another third down pass to Wayne Gallman. Only needed a couple yards, and that's what he got. And he's a warrior. You know, he's a, he's a fighter. He wants to play this week, so – uh, we'll see what happens, but Colt McCoy took over, and Hank, he wasn't he wasn't yeah. very bad at all. Yeah, no, he wasn't bad. He wasn't horrible, but he wasn't great either. He he was serviceable, if that's the right word to use. Right. And, you know, another thing I want to say, Kevin, I like that comment, by the way. The more and more I'm watching Daniel Jones, the more I'm really st- slowly starting to get, get a feel that he could be our quarterback for years to come. I, I really like a lot of the qualities in this guy. But anyways... You want to know another thing that I liked about him, too? He actually tried to re-enter the game afterwards on the next drive, but 
unfortunately, due to the effects of the injury, he had to leave after only the first play of the next drive. That one resulted in a punt. And to be honest, I think the Giants probably did the right thing here by taking him out because hamstring injuries are pretty complicated. You know, yeah. it's it's a minor injury on the surface, but if you do anything to re-aggravate that injury, it's going to make it a lot worse. And I think the Giants would probably do the right thing if they, if they let him sit the next week. But anyways, Bengals would get the ball back after – an exchange of punts seemed like they would get a three and out, but then they ex- executed a successful fake punt on fourth and six from their own 20 yard line. Sean Williams, their safety. He took a direct snap. He ran seven yards for first down. And I do want to point out, I think there was a game two years ago where the, where somebody executed a fake punt against the giants. And there was also one in 2016 where that happened against the giants. Interesting to note. Trustway did that in the game against the Redskins. I can't remember off the top of my head. who did in 2018, but I, I could have sworn. It feels like it's this has happened two years ago. Yeah. You're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. I mean, Colt McCoy, he's a serviceable quarterback, but uh, these special teams plays, special teams just look bad, Hank. They they look bad, but at the end of the day, the defense bailed us out yet again. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, and like I said again, special teams matter. 100%. Hey, and let me give you a big example of that. There have been teams that have had good offenses and defenses, but special teams have really hurt them in the long run. 100%. Are we up to Nico yet, or are we getting there? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Okay. So that's torch on to you, my friend. Yeah, let's show this Nico Lalo's interception. Diving pick. Uh, again, this is an undrafted rookie out of Dartmouth. This guy played in the Ivy, Ivy League, so it's not as fast or – as competitive as the SEC, but this man out of Dartmouth, undrafted rookie, made his claim to fame and uh, potentially made the turning point play in this game. As you can see, he's number 57, who's rushing the passer and then just comes back into the field of play, making the diving grab. Uh, And another thing, too, that was funny, you're going to see it on slow motion in just a moment as you get another angle. Darnay Holmes, number 30, excellent job of deflecting that football. As you can see, Lalo celebrating uh, right there with his teammates, getting a little, uh, you know, celebratory uh, honoring for making that diving interception. But the ball being tipped by Darnay Holmes is just another example of a great young rookie making a play on this defense. Goes to show you how young this team is. Lalo's only played eight snaps, but he was very good on each one, had uh, one pass deflection as well, and he earned an 88.1 pro football focus grade which I was very impressed by Hank. Um, yeah, that was, that was huge. I definitely think it was a big turnaround turning point in the game. And you wrote this fun fact earlier this week that he was actually the first giant to have an interception in his NFL debut since linebacker Wani Unga. I remember that that was week one of the 2015 season. I believe he almost returned that for a touchdown too, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you would definitely be correct with that. And, uh, folks, just a quick reminder, it's 7.15, and in 15 minutes, New York Giants WFAN radio host Lance Meadow joins the show. Uh, So really looking forward to that. Feel free to comment in the stream, and Review and Preview reminds you that that will be happening as well. Feel free to comment in our stream, folks. Ask any questions that you have for us or Lance when he joins the live stream. We'd really appreciate it. Um, Okay, so let's carry on. Bengals had only three possessions in the third quarter. Two of them were three and outs, and one was that interception that um, 
Brandon Allen did throw to Lelos. Allen did not have the best game. The Giants would get the ball in good field position, but again, uh, they'd fail to score a touchdown. Bengals, they'd, they'd catch a lucky break on third and seven. Colt McCoy overthrew Deion Lewis, who was wide open. He probably had a touchdown. If McCoy throws a little more accurate pass, a little lower in the air, uh, the airspeed, too, is just insane on that throw. There was no need to throw it that hard. Um, and then it led to a Graham Gano 39-yard field goal. That put the Giants up by 6, 16-10. to 10. We're sitting there. We're looking pretty. Uh, the Bengals and Giants would each punt on their following possession. But uh, on the third play of the Bengals' following drive, Logan Ryan, who we must re-sign, Hank, I love this man, uh, probably made the play of the game at that point. Uh, so Brandon Allen throws a pass to tight end Drew Sample, the four-yard pass. And Logan Ryan, what he does is he crashes in nicely and forces a fumble that will put the Giants in the Bengals' red zone. And we will show you the punch fumble by uh, Logan Ryan right now. So as you can see, just comes in right from behind. There goes the football technique that Joe Judge taught him, falling on the football as well in that fetal position, which is what you really love to see. Here it is again. And as you can see right there, big number 99, Leonard Williams deflects the pass, which is something that probably went unnoticed, folks, when you watch that play live. You may have not caught that, but uh, we're here to break that down for you. This play was set up by that big hog in the trenches, Hank, number 99, Leonard Williams. Yeah, Leonard Williams has been doing a lot of that this year. And I, another thing I want to point out, too, before when you mentioned that, um, that incomplete pass to Lewis, I think mm-hmm. that probably that probably could have be- come back to haunt the Giants because I remember listening to this game. I, I was driving when this happened home from work. I taped the rest of the game, so I'll watch all of it for those who wondered. Um that play, I think, could have really changed the game because obviously I remember thinking, okay, the Giants got the lead, but like, still only three points. Field goals can really keep teams in in that game. And as far as Logan Ryan goes, incredible. That that's another very well, very good play that Joe Judge taught him. And yeah, I think you're right. It probably could have been another turning point in this game. It was, and his PFF grade was very high in this game, 91.6. That led the defense, had six tackles, and he was actually named to the PFF Team of the Week. And since 2019, he leads the NFL with seven forced fumbles. I didn't realize that. I know he had four with Tennessee last year, but now he has three with the Giants. Unfortunately, Logan Ryan in the defense sets up the offense in prime position to put this game to bed, and the offense is unable to do it. Uh They'd go three and out. Again, remember, Colt McCoy's in the game. This is not Daniel Jones in the game there, folks. 32-yard field goal by Gano. However, it did give the Giants a two-possession lead. It put them up by nine with just around four minutes left in the game. Less than four, actually. So they're up 19-10. to 10, And then the Bengals, they wouldn't go away. They'd come back, and they'd come back strong. Uh, there was a penalty by Leonard Williams, a 15-yard roughing the passer, and a Darnay Holmes pass interference penalty on Tyler Boyd in the end zone that would put the Bengals on the one-yard line where Brandon Allen would do a nice little pass to T. Higgins, the rookie wide receiver out of Clemson. One-yard score. Bengals are now creeping in closer. They're only down by two, 1917. We get the football back, and you know we appear to salt this game away. But on a third and four, by the way, beautiful play call by Jason Garrett. Hank calling the play-action pass. McCoy rolls to his right on the bootleg, throws it to Gallman, gets the first down. 
Unfortunately, it was negated by a Cam Fleming holding penalty. So the Giants would be forced to punt. And this is a booming punt by Riley Dixon. 61 yards, angles it pretty well. Alex Erickson is returning it, but he returned it for 30 yards. 29-yard return by Erickson. Numerous missed tackles, including Dixon. And Cam Brown probably saved the game with that tackle tripping up Erickson. But with good field position at midfield, it looked like a disaster waiting to happen until this play. Uh, Bengals take the field for their very first play. Remember, all they need is a field goal to win. They don't need a field goal to tie. All they had to do was kick a field goal to win. And then Jabal Sheard, a guy who was signed off the street about a month ago, won this game for the, for the New York football Giants. See Carter Coughlin in there, B.J. Hill, Leonard Will, who recovers that fumble. Jabal Sheard, man, you see it again here in slow motion, 91 on your far side of the screen. Gets by Jonah Williams, who's, you know, he's Cincinnati's best offensive lineman on an offensive line that's not very good. They're not very productive. And that's why Joe Burrow did tear his ACL. They were unable to protect him and. There's Leonard Williams right there to scoop that ball up. Hank, what was your initial reaction to this play? I was pumped. Uh, my friend Kevin, who was watching the game with me, told me, you got to calm down. You are screaming. And, <laughs> look, I'm, I was just excited because I knew at that point we would move into first place for the first time in a long time. It's funny. I was sitting in my car because I didn't really want to get out. I was too nervous. I was, like, on the edge of my seat. Well, my literal – my the driver's seat, I should say. And I just remember I was still parked, and I remember letting out an epic fist bump, and I'm like, yes, let's go. And, yeah, no, it was huge. And I think not only did I have that epic fist bump reaction, I had a major sigh of relief. And let me tell you why. I think the one play that really stood out to me that may have cost the Giants, I would say it was the Leonard Williams play because mm-hmm. that put the Bengals into field goal range. And that put that was really the first play that made you think, oh, no, the Giants could really blow this game too, can't right. they? Remember, they, regardless of whether they got the field goal or a touchdown, they would get the ball back for an onside kick possibly, right? So, you know, them scoring, it, it, it raised – it, it, it put me very on edge. And then the Goleman play, I, again, was really ecstatic at first, but then hearing the penalty really took the life out of me too, because yeah. I think, I think that it was a, a really good play call too. And, and it would have been a great way to like put the game away, but alas, they're the giants. They, they like to make us sweat through. I think <laughs> not the it first was. time. That's certainly not the last time that's going to happen. It was, and it was actually our lowest point total win. Uh, since week 17, three years ago in 2017, the last game of the season, we beat Washington 18 to 10 giants only scored 19 points in this game. And a big factor was because of our offensive line, the hog mollies up front as big Dave Gettleman likes to call them came in clutch. And Hank's Dave Gettleman, by the way, that game, I think was the first game we played since we hired him. Yeah. Yep. I would agree. Uh, Folks, by the way, make sure to share this with your friends. We do have Lance Meadow coming on in just five to six minutes, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Giants WFAN radio host and the host of the Big Blue uh, kickoff podcast on Giants.com. But uh, here's a picture of the hog mollies that started this game for the Giants. No Will Hernandez at left guard. It was Shane Lemieux this week, and these are the guys right here. 
Uh, Andrew Thomas and Shane Lemieux, as you can see, both rookies starting on the left side had zero pressures allowed. Uh, Kevin Zeitler was solid. Cam Fleming wasn't great. He was probably the one guy I was not thrilled with on the line in this game. But, Hank, I got to tell you something. Under Mark Colombo, and I know this is a small sample size for our new uh, O-line coach, our line under Colombo averaged over three sacks a game. One game with Googs, Dave Guglielmo, our new um, offensive line coach, zero sacks, zero. And it just, I mean, you can read the stats here on the graphic, folks. Our PFF grades were great for the first time this year. All guys had a grade over 60, and first time we haven't allowed a sack in a game over a year, and it's translated into an excellent rushing game, uh, 100-plus rushing yards in six straight games, Hank. Yeah, it's it's been quite the turnaround. And I'd like to think that this is an example of what I like to call the Joe Judge effect. And what I mean by that is, as we mentioned, Joe Judge pretty much got involved when the offensive line was struggling, and he knew that Andrew Thomas needed help. He wanted him to play like he did at Georgia, not what Colombo taught him. And it's pretty obvious that ever since that happened, he's gotten a lot better. And I don't and it's not a coincidence whatsoever. It's it's been I really like what I'm seeing from this offensive line and you know I'm we're probably gonna get into it a little bit later when we talked about uh sorry we're probably gonna get a little a little bit into it later when we talk to Lance about him but I really think this offensive line is is an example of how low key Dave Gettleman's actually been doing a pretty solid job and it's kind of been under the radar. He has. And did you know Gatesy in the center is the only player on the entire Giants roster to not miss a snap this season? That's incredible. You know, it's funny. I Iron Man. You know, it's funny. I figured if anybody was wasn't going to have missed a snap, it had to have been one of the offensive linemen, but I didn't know I didn't know it was Nick Gates. That that is a real fun fact. I yeah, hundred percent. Nick Gates is actually the longest tenured offensive lineman out of these five right here. So you know, this is a great five. And uh, just to confirm, James did say uh, this felt like a trap game. It did, and Kevin confirms that I did scream in his ear. It was a very exciting moment. And Tom McNamara with a comment as well: first place in the worst division. No matter which team wins, the division will get bounced quick. Coming from an zero and eleven Jet fan. Fun fact, Tommy: the last time. The last two times a seven-win team made the playoffs, they both won a playoff game. So I disagree with that comment, Tom. Uh, once you get into the playoffs, your record is zero and zero. It doesn't matter. Look what the seven and nine Seattle Seahawks did to the eleven and five Saints that one year at home. I mean, it just goes to show. Look, I don't know that the Giants aren't going to go far. They're not competing against Green Bay, New Orleans, but at the same time, you got to remember that the Giants are capable of winning a playoff game. They have an excellent coach if they get in, if they get to that point, which is going to be somewhat of an uphill battle, which we'll talk about later on. But we'll get rid of the hog mollies. And Will Hernandez, who didn't even start in this game, uh, he had the best PFF grade. You know, it's crazy. Shane Lemieux, And this is a, a complete result of the Joe Judge effect. We've seen the transformation by Andrew Thomas. He's been absolutely spectacular to watch uh, in his last four games. He's only given up eight pressures compared to his first seven where he gave up 36. And I think another thing too, is time of possession. The giants, uh, I believe this was their highest time of possession in a game in over seven years, the 37 and a half minutes. 
Uh, we currently rank 19th in time of possession, which is insane. The Giants gained 386 yards. And Hank, you inserted this fun fact. This is the fifth straight game where they have passed their season high in that department. Little fun fact there for you. And the defense. Let's get to the defense. They caused three turnovers, winning the turnover battle three to one. And again, Nico Lalos, Logan Ryan, and Jabal Sheard all causing them. Which one did we pick as our New York Giants player of the week? Well, you're about to find out. And I'll share my graphic here. It is Jabal Sheard. 100% 100% Jabal Sheard. He made the play of this game. Three tackles, a sack, a forced fumble, including the game-winning strip sack that was recovered by Leonard Williams. This was his first sack as a member of the Giants. And, Hank, this guy's been around the block a little bit, as you can see on this graphic. Yeah, and, you know, I'll tell you another fun fact. This isn't even the first time he played under Joe Judge. Remember, he was uh, with the Patriots. He, I think he won a Super Bowl ring with them in 2016, no? He did. And he played for Cleveland and Indianapolis. A pretty another pretty under the radar pickup, and I, I I'm going to say I completely agree with this decision of player of the week. I think you could easily argue that Leonard Williams would be another player of the week. He had a good game too, but I think at the end of the day, the one thing that penal that made me want to penalize Leonard Williams for not getting the player of the week was the whole Pat penalty. But I digress. <laughs> Jabal Jabal Sheard sack was huge. That, 90.7 PFF grade. I mean, it shows right yeah. there. He It wasn't just one play. It was the whole game. He was getting pressures, not, not necessarily things that will always show in the stat sheet. Absolutely. And when you factor it all in, I think he's a very worthy choice for our player of the week. I agree. 52 and a half career sacks. Played with New England. Played with the Colts. Played with the Jags. He's been around. Uh, previously played with the Browns as well. And now with Fackrell on... Um, short-term IR for the next three weeks at least. Sheard is probably the guy Joe Judge looks to. O'Shane's uh, Zimenez will not be available for the rest of the year, so that's going to hurt. And then Lorenzo Carter as well, who's a very promising young talent heading into this year. So Sheard is probably that guy. and That's why he's our our uh, Giants player of the week for the pretty much the play that he made in that game. And we're going to bring our guest Lance Meadow up in just one moment who is backstage. I just want to say that um, the Giants now have two or more sacks in every game this year. That has not been done in a while. And Hank, one other guy I want to point out on the defense, James Bradbury held. uh, Look, I know Bradbury doesn't travel with a lot of the elite corners, at least from what I've seen, but Tyler Boyd only had three receptions and AJ Green was held catchless. Bradbury, I believe he forced like 14, 15, it was 15 incompletions, and then um, an 85.2 single coverage grade. This man is elite. No, both these marks are first in the league. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's been amazing all season, but you know who else I think has gone under the radar? I would say Jabril Peppers. He's been making a lot of tackles in backfield. Was he have an 89.6 PFF grade from this yep. past game? Yep. Very under the radar player and i'm just gonna say that guy. i'm gonna say this too just because you know i have to he makes that odell beckham trade look better and better yeah we'll save that discussion for another day but at this time we're gonna bring on uh lance meadow new york giants wfan radio host and host of the big blue kickoff podcast on giants.com lance hello long time no see i'm doing very well guys how's everything on your end thanks for having me on 
No problem. It's pretty good. I know last time I had Kyle when you were on. Now I have Hank with me, who's another diehard Giants fan. Uh, so you both have LT hanging up in the rafters. But I've I've been listening to um, you know your podcast this week. Um, you, John Schmelk, and Paul Latino always bring up great stuff. I uh, really appreciate the angle that you guys take with this team. Uh, very reliable stuff. But I, the first question I want to ask you, Lance, is, you know, we were sitting here three months ago and we were saying we're, we're not so sure where how, how this season is going to go for the Giants. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of question marks surrounding, you know, who would make the roster and whatnot. What is the biggest difference you see in the team now compared to the beginning of the season? Well, I think it's the defense, and that's what the two of you were talking about right before you brought me on. I, I think that probably has been the most surprising unit, guys, in terms of the expectations coming into the season and you know how much more comfortable a lot of these players are within the scheme, what Patrick Graham knows about the strengths and the weaknesses of all of these players. I think he's able to disguise a lot more things, and probably the reason why the Giants' defense – has been so vastly improved compared to what it looked like on paper, I think coincided with the arrival of Logan Ryan. And just think about this, which I don't think a lot of people bring up. If Xavier McKinney doesn't get hurt in training camp, who's to say Logan Ryan is even a New York Giant right now? Remember, the big reason why they brought in Logan Ryan, they made the move, was because they found out towards the end of training camp, uh uh-oh, second-round pick's down. We thought he'd be Mr. Versatility. Now we have to have somebody to plug in. And Ryan's arrival has done wonders for this defense. You listen to Patrick Graham. He rants and raves about his knowledge and the fact that, of course, he's had ties to New England and he's a very smart and savvy player. But what he's brought to the defense is stability and structure and also a guy that's going to mentor just about everybody else within the picture. So, you know, that to me has been the biggest reason to answer your question why I think the outlook for the Giants is a lot different as we stand here at the beginning of December compared to what we were looking at in late August, early September. I agree. He's been an outstanding pickup, Lance, and I I think Hank would second me on that. Uh, Absolutely. We remember uh, last year he was a big factor in eliminating the New England Patriots from the playoffs with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Has a knack for coughing up the ball. We just brought up, I mean, from his – position at least he has the most forced fumbles since last year i believe he has seven so he's been remarkable but um you know you brought up the defense i I wanted to again i mean obviously the big thing in this game is daniel jones and what's his current you know status and whatnot and obviously he left early colt mccoy came in but uh before we touch upon that and the hamstring injury I was really impressed because more often than not, we've been applauding the defense majority of games this year. And we haven't really been, um, you know, too fond about the offense, but Daniel Jones did not turn the ball over for a third straight game, despite leaving early. What are your thoughts on his recent play? Well, I think he's gotten to the point where he doesn't feel he has to put on the cape and play superhero. I think early in the season when Saquon went down and then Sterling Shepard's injury coincided with that. I think Daniel Jones had the mindset, well, I don't have the same type of playmakers around me anymore. I need to now shoulder the load. I need to take more on. And when you have that mindset, you try to press the envelope a little too much. Maybe you try to run for an additional yard instead of sliding. Maybe you hold on to the ball a fraction of a second longer instead of throwing it away. And that, more often than not, 
leads to turnovers, which is what you would hit on. And it absolutely plagued him. So why has he now been doing a better job in protecting the football? Yeah, I think part of it is his thinking and not feeling as if he needs to put the entire offense on his shoulders. But, you know, let's not also dismiss the fact that the offensive line has vastly improved. We were talking about the defense. You've got better protection for your quarterback. You have some semblance of a rushing attack. What Wayne Goldman's been able to do, he's been a consistent factor. He scored a touchdown in each of the last five games. So he's been a steady presence, and the offensive line has held its own. So that, I think, has also given Daniel Jones a little bit more comfort. And if you go back and you watch the film, I mean, Daniel Jones is having a pocket now to operate, right? He can actually (laughs) survey the field and throw something deep down the field. And it's no coincidence that that has happened over the last few games. So, you know, all of those factors, I would argue, that's why you've seen improved play out of Daniel Jones. And when you have good decision-making on the part of your quarterback, the ball security is going to coincide with that. And here's a, a major statistic. That, once again, is no coincidence. They were 1-7 in their first eight games, guys. They were minus 5 in turnover differential. They're 3-0 and in their last three. They're plus 7. I don't care who they're playing against. I don't care the caliber or the lack thereof of the opponent. Turnover differential is synonymous with wins and losses. So if everybody's wondering, well, why are the Giants 3-0? and Yeah, I get it. The competition's not overwhelming. I'll be the first one to admit that. And the way that the team is performing and the comfort level is different, but they're also not turning the ball over at the same rate they were over the first eight games. And when you do that, you're probably going to put yourself in a position to win more games than the opposite side. I saw that tweet you made about him, um, about the giants, uh, that the one in seven you were talking about, like how, uh, it's just been in, in, insane to watch this team, transform over the last few months. And I know the record still isn't great, but you look at what Jones did on third down in this game, converted eight to 12 third downs. Uh, I believe 70% of his passing yards actually came on third down. And another thing I noticed too, Lance, I I mean, I was watching the film back in this game and uh, obviously he didn't throw an interception for the third straight week. Uh, But the ability to just, Read a defense too. I think also helps out protection wise, as where he he didn't have much time to throw the football. I think the fact that he was able to. I mean, I, by the way, I love what he does with the hard count. It brings shades of Eli back a little bit with drawing the defense offsides. I love that, but I think he's done a good job not trying to be a superhero, like you said, and extend the play. It. I mean, you know, if the safety bites, you saw it he'll go to Ingram deep down the sideline early on. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest differences that we've seen, knowing the matchups, who's matched up against who, and being able to, uh, you know, know who the mic is and just really he, he's done a fine job of that. I mean, we're not saying he's like a top 10 quarterback yet, but he's he's, cert- he's certainly getting up there. I mean, he's doing pretty good in PFA. And from the film that I, I've seen, he's, he's just looked – Again, I, my, my friends text me all the time. They're like, oh, but he hasn't thrown any touchdown passes. But why does that matter so much? We're winning football games. He's not losing us games. So I think that's huge, personally. Well, I think to answer your question, the reason why it matters to most is because we live in a fantasy football world now. Yeah. And you know everybody is admired for their individual statistics as opposed to what they do to help the team win, which is yeah. pretty much what you just laid out. And, you know, this is the other thing I think, guys, that we tend to forget about Daniel Jones. 
he played 12 games as a rookie. So he didn't play a complete rookie year. He needed four more starts to say, okay, now that's the equivalent of a rookie year. So then we got to 16. Okay, so now we're not going to end up with two complete years when it's all said and done because now he's going to miss time with the ankle injury. You need reps. You need experience. You could say that about any positional player, right, in the National Football League, but most important, the quarterback position. So when you pointed out, well, it seems as if he's much more comfortable in reading a defense, well, he's also simultaneously getting adjusted to his own new offense. So it's understandable it's going to take time, okay? Not everybody is Patrick Mahomes, where you had the luxury to sit him one year behind Alex Smith. He was able to study film, watch a veteran go to work. Now, Daniel Jones did have that luxury with Dan, with uh, Eli Manning, but remember, he then took over the reins three games into the season. So it wasn't much of the teacher-mentor-student relationship like you saw with Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes. So I also think the more experience Daniel Jones is gaining – the more defenses he's seeing, he's getting more and more comfortable in terms of not just seeing how his teammates react, but also understanding how defenses are playing him. And we're seeing also teams trying to adjust to his ability as a runner, which is another new element that we didn't necessarily see, of course, when Eli Manning was the quarterback. So there's so many different facets that I think are in play right now that we just can't lose sight of the fact that Daniel Jones is still a very young an unpolished quarterback. And it feels like he's been here forever because when you go through a season like the Giants had last year and unfortunately in years prior, it seems as if it takes years off of you. So I get where most fans are coming from. But in the big picture of things, guys, he really doesn't have that many starts compared to the rest of the NFL landscape under his belt. All right. So, sorry, were you still talking? or No, go ahead. Absolutely. Oh, okay. So, I, another thing I wanted to say, Daniel Jones, as we know, left the game with the tweak hamstring. We know the timetable isn't really known, but Ian Rappaport reported the injury really isn't serious. What would you say is your estimation for when the timetable is for him to return? I think he's an extreme long shot to play this week. He's now gone down as a, did not practice for both Wednesday and Thursday. I would not expect it to change on Friday. So I think in all likelihood, Colt McCoy will start as far as, the timeline beyond that, and that's really the million-dollar question. I will say this. I think there's two things that have to be answered before the Giants put Daniel Jones back on the football field. Number one is, can he actually make all the throws? Meaning, can he step into the throw? The reason why he took himself out of the game against the Bengals was the fact that, if you remember, when he came back in and he dumped it off to Wayne Goldman, he couldn't step into the throw. So, to me, it's not about, is he going to re-aggravate the injury? Is he putting himself in jeopardy? It's about, can he do the basics that you need a quarterback to do? Until he gets to that point, they're going to rest him, and they're going to make sure that they don't bring him back too soon. Then the secondary factor is, of course, if we put him out there and he re-aggravates it, does he then wind up missing additional weeks? So I think I would assume, and this is just my estimation, minimum probably a two-week injury and then it may be possible that they bring him back after that does he have a shot at playing against the Arizona Cardinals I think there's an outside shot because he did get out on the practice field today but he was on the side working with the trainers he wasn't actually taking part with the first team offense and normally when guys are doing work on the side I don't know if that's necessarily any indication that they're a step closer to playing but I think that most Giants fans should brace themselves that it's, it's possible he could miss at least two games. Beyond that, 
you know, that I think is the wild card, but I would not be stunned if he does miss this game and the following week. And maybe we could talk once we roll around to those Baltimore and Cleveland matchups in the AFC North. Right. I, I would tend to agree with that. I think it's probably for the best that they just let him rest this week. Cause like, like I was saying earlier, hamstrings are really like complicated. Yeah. You, you tear that thing, make it worse. Then it's a big problem. I, I think if, if he were, if he had to rest for two weeks, I would not object to that. I, I would totally understand. I think, I think that's a smart thing to do. And this guy's going to be important for us for years to come. So yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Well, and I want to piggyback off of your last point, because, Hank, I think you hit it right in the nose for the future, what you just laid out, because I think the Giants need to be careful. You don't want him to jeopardize the offseason. What I mean by that is think about this. This is year two. Once again, this goes back to the lack of experience. His rookie year, you never have a conventional offseason, right, guys? Because you go through the draft process, the combine, you join the team late. So throw out 2019. Right. Then 2020 was essentially spoiled, too, because of the coronavirus. Yeah. So Daniel Jones has not had a conventional full offseason where he's been at the facility practicing with teammates. If you get to the point where, to your point, the tricky hamstring injury and it lingers into the offseason, then he's going to have to spend time rehabbing and going through that. And that could eat into now, I don't know what the offseason is going to be like because there's still so many questions surrounding this country. But the point is, yes, I think if you're the Giants, you have to keep that in the back of your mind because he's still a very young quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent. And let's talk about um, Colt McCoy. How, how do you feel about his chances heading into the Seattle game and getting more first team reps? Well, I think the good news for the Giants is what you just hit on, the first-team reps. He came in in the midst of the game against the Bengals. He didn't work with the first team at all. The backup quarterback doesn't get any first-team reps. He runs the scout team. So now that they went into this week knowing Daniel Jones has the hamstring injury, Cole McCoy's the guy now. He's getting all the first-team reps. He's going to be able to throw to the wide receivers, work with the line. So that bodes well from a chemistry perspective. But this is also not Colt McCoy's first rodeo. He's been a journeyman quarterback. He's been in a variety of offenses. He knows what it means to take mental reps every week and watch the starter go to work. So it's not as if the Giants are handing it off to a guy that hasn't been through this scenario. So that, I think, all, once again, are positives for the Giants, as opposed to if a rookie was backing up Daniel Jones, who never had a start before and didn't really go through the nuances of a week and maybe you'd be a little bit more concerned. Here's the other thing. Cole McCoy is certainly not Daniel Jones from a mobility standpoint, meaning no team is worried about Colt McCoy running for 20 to 30 yards on a given play. But let's not overlook the fact that Cole McCoy can extend a play. Cole McCoy is more than capable of rolling out of the pocket. If he needs to run for a few yards, he's capable of doing that. And the reason I'm bringing that up is a lot of people are wondering, well, how much is the Giants offense going to have to change now that Colt McCoy is taking over? I'm not expecting Jason Garrett now to take out a new playbook and then run it with Colt McCoy. The only difference, once again, is how defenses look at this offense because of Colt McCoy's limitations compared to Daniel Jones. But I think overall, the Giants offense is in good hands with a veteran quarterback, and it's going to come down to guys, the offensive line and the ability to run the football. It doesn't matter whether Jones or McCoy are under center. The Giants, if they want to beat the Seahawks, They have to continue to protect the quarterback, which they vastly improved. But most important, they have to continue to run the ball effectively. Nobody in that Giants organization 
wants to go into this game and expect Colt McCoy to throw 40 to 45 times because that is not a recipe to beat the Seattle Seahawks, and it's not a recipe, I would argue, to beat any of the upcoming opponents. So the Giants are going to have to continue to pound the football. I think that's going to be a big key and a big part of the philosophy, no matter who the starter is. It's a good point you brought up, Lance. I mean, McCoy, smaller than Jones, uh, 6'1", 2'12". I mean, he did start a game last year against New England, and then obviously he did replace Alex Smith when he had that gruesome leg injury. So he does have some experience, very sporadic starts. And I do agree. I think they're going to be leaning on the Wayne train, like to call him a lot. I think he runs hard. Uh, One stat I noticed was the first drive last week, his first three runs of the game were five yards, and then two four-yard runs. Uh, he really sets the tone. And again, he he's not he's not the most attractive running back out there, but I think he gets the job done. In other words, you know, he's not Saquon Barkley, but I think he's just been remarkable. This is his fifth game scoring a touchdown in a row. Uh, that's pretty impressive. The ninety-four yards last week and. Uh, Hank actually brought a fact up to me today that I was astonished by. He's the the Giants. This is the second longest streak of games with a rushing touchdown by one individual uh, running back. I believe it was Bill Paschal had more with seven in 1944. (laughs) So that's that's a real fun fact that I liked. And, you know, six games in a row, we've rushed for over 100 yards. Um, Can they continue it against Seattle? Well, I, I mean, I think it's going to come down to the way the offensive line plays because, you know, we're, we're not sure if Carlos Dunlap's going to play. So that definitely factors into it. I know they have uh, a young guy on that line who's good. Um, again, it's just weird because all of Wayne Gallman's touchdowns come from with either one or two yards out. There's not one of his touchdowns that have come from more than two yards out. I mean, he is that short yardage back that's going to continue to move the chains. So I think it's going to come down to guys like Evan Ingram, who had a career high 129 receiving yards last week. You know, Darius Slayton was held to no catches. So hopefully that changes. Lance, I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm not so sure. I think these guys are going to have to, we're going to have to get more from Slayton and more from Sterling Shepard as well. Even Golden Tate. I know Golden Tate and Colt McCoy are both the same age and uh, you know, it seemed like McCoy was spreading the ball to these guys a lot last week. So uh, is there one of these guys outside of Wayne Gallman that you're thinking like, hey, like this guy has to make, you know, several big plays in this game to keep us in it? Well, I think Golden Tate's a good name to bring up. He seems to have really good chemistry with Colt McCoy. And Golden Tate actually was talking with the media earlier today. And he indicated that in the offseason, he was able to get together with Colt McCoy in Austin And they were able to get some work in together. So Colden Tate is the type of guy that is capable of moving the chains. And he's also very good in terms of yak yardage. And and by the way, that's not something that we've seen a lot out of Golden Tate. Now, part of it is, I think, limited opportunities. But Seattle's secondary, which has been plagued by injuries, they are much healthier entering this game. They have been susceptible to the big play. So if you can get the big play by dumping off to a guy like Golden Tate and then he winds up getting 10, 15 yards after the catch. There's nothing wrong with that. Nobody says you got to throw the bomb down the field. Okay, there's multiple ways to be productive and get the chains moving. So Golden Tate, I think, is somebody that comes to mind. They've got really good linebacker play with Bobby Wagner. He's a guy that does a heck of a job manning the middle of the field. K.J. Wright 
So I don't know if there's going to be a lot of opportunities in the middle of the field, which means the boundaries, you know, up the sideline, which is where a guy like Evan Ingram comes into play. And we'll see who Seattle puts on him, you know, whether or not it be Jamal Adams or it be one of the linebackers. I mean, Wagner's capable of dropping back in coverage and running with a guy. We've seen that more often than not. He actually had a stop against the Eagles on Monday night. The ball went off his helmet, but the bottom line is he was still with the opponent all the way down the field. So there's a lot of versatility in terms of the Seattle defense. But it, once again, outside of Wayne Goldman, I would look at Golden Tate as definitely a guy that perhaps they can lean on, especially because of his chemistry with Colt McCoy. Darius Slayton, who you brought up, has been on the injury report over the last few days. He's been you know, a little bit banged up over the last few weeks. And whether or not you know they're able to tap into his ability down the field remains to be seen. And I think it goes without saying. I mean, you want to see Evan Ingram be able to duplicate his success in the last game. But once again, Seattle is going to, you figure, hone in on him. And they're going to want to say, all right, Cole McCoy, try to beat us with the pass. You know they're going to focus on that. But I think if I'm the Seahawks, that's the guy that probably I'm going to take out of the equation. If I'm Seattle, I'm saying to Colt McCoy, see if you can get it to Darius Slayton, see if you can get it to Golden Tate, see if you can get it to Austin Mack. See if you could beat us that way. But you're not going to beat us by going deep down the field with Evan Ingram because we're going to make sure he's fully covered. And Golden Tate's an interesting name because he played, I believe it was 57% of the snaps last week. That's the most he's played uh, since week four. So I would expect McCoy to target him. Yeah, Slayton's been banged up. Sterling Shepard, another guy, five, uh, five straight games with at least six receptions. That's the most since Odell two years ago. He had seven catches last week. Uh, yeah, you know, I think Jamal Adams and Evan Ingram could potentially be an intriguing matchup. I mean, he saw a lot of Von Bell last week, so that's going to be really fun to watch. And, you know, the offensive line, Andrew Thomas, has looked like a completely different player, Lance. Um, I know it's a small sample size with Googs, but Giants gave up no sacks last week. And our new O-line coach, a lot of reporters are asking him, well, why haven't you been around anywhere very long and you know part of the reason he's taken new jobs he's taken better offers I mean look what he did at the Colts uh two years ago what do you think of Andrew Thomas from uh then and and now it seems like he's he's learned a lot over these first 10 to 12 weeks of the season yeah and he was tested right out of the gates he went against some of the premier pass rushers it's not fun when all of a sudden the first game is T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree I mean that's quite the rude awakening and then it doesn't get any easier because then you got to deal with Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack and you guys know the rest of the story whether it be Washington's front Dallas's front it's been quite the challenge and like anything else similar to how we were talking about with Daniel Jones the more reps you get the more comfortable you get you find the tendencies of the defense of players and how they're attacking you and you're able to react I think the other thing is Shane Lemieux now has taken over at left guard Remember, earlier in the season, it was Will Hernandez, and you've got a rookie tackle next to a rookie guard. Well, sometimes that's going to take some time. Remember, the guard and the tackle relationship is extremely important. Nate Solder, not to get off topic to your question, but a lot of people were wondering, you know, when Nate Solder had his ups and downs last season, well, Will Hernandez, still a relatively young guard, and then the center was changing, so there was a lot of fluidity on the offensive line, and that's going to even impact a veteran left tackle. So now we're dealing with a rookie left tackle. You're changing the guy next to him. Yeah, you should expect 
some ups and downs. So I think stability is the reason why he's played much better. And I think, once again, everybody having a better grasp of this offense, too. And Jason Garrett understanding what works, what doesn't work. And we're going to lean on the things that have been effective. So all of those factors, I think, have played a role. And the key now is to see whether or not they can do that as the caliber of the opposition improves. Because, interestingly, Tom, you brought up the fact that they gave up no sacks. But in fairness, the Cincinnati Bengals only had 13 sacks on the season. And once again, I'm not here to poo-poo the numbers or be a Debbie Downer. It's all about providing context. You can't overreact to certain things, and you can't downplay other things. you got to sort of stay even ground when it comes to evaluating this team. And Cincinnati lost Carlos Dunlap because they traded him coincidentally to Seattle. And we'll see whether or not he's going to play. He's now dealing with the sore foot. Geno Atkins has not necessarily been a consistent staple on the defensive front. So the Bengals' dynamics has changed. Once again, you never want to give up a sack. And you should never apologize who you're playing. But I guess my point is, let's see what happens against the Arizonas, the Baltimores, the Clevelands, which I think is going to give us a much better feel and barometer about truly how far this offensive line has gone. And then the last thing I want to say on the offensive line, and uh, Gatesy has been great at the center position the last couple of weeks. You brought up Lemieux for Hernandez. Uh, do we see Will Hernandez back as a starter eventually this season? Or, I mean, I kind of think the Giants are going with the, um, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And Lemieux is holding his own right now. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think they're going to stick with Shane Lemieux because I think also part of it is they really want to develop these rookies. Think about it. Three rookie offensive linemen that have contributed heavily in the early stages of this season, whether it be Andrew Thomas, whether it be Lemieux, and then, of course, Matt Peart, who just came off the COVID-19 reserve list. And they look at these guys as the future of the offensive line. Not to say that Will Hernandez is not in the plans, but Will Hernandez was drafted a few years ago, and he's getting into years into his rookie contract. So they'll have to make a decision whether or not, obviously, they want to re-up on him. But I wouldn't get too caught up, Tom, in terms of, who's starting because if you notice they've done a very effective job in rotating offensive linemen. And I'll be honest with you. When I first heard about this plan, I was a little leery, you know, stability on the offensive line is important. Chemistry is on the offensive line and you're watching every game and you're like, is this really going to work? And Hey, to the giants coaching staff credit, it's been effective. So, you know, you can't stand here. You can't sit here and criticize. And the reason behind that is they want to develop these guys because This to me is the difference, and this is no disrespect to the previous Giants coaching staff, but a lot of people always ask me, well, why is this team maybe turning the corner? What's different that maybe we haven't seen out of the team in previous years? Well, one thing that jumps out to me is they're maximizing the 53-man roster. They're playing guys that in previous years I don't think would have stood a chance to get in on offense or defense. They may have played special teams, but they were not going to actually get meaningful snaps. You're seeing players a little bit further back on the depth chart get snaps and meaningful snaps. Nico Lelos gets the interception, right? Undrafted rookie out of Dartmouth. They just called him up off the practice squad. Patrick Graham, he's mixing and matching. And they're doing the same thing on the offensive line. So getting back to your question, I do see Shane Lemieux remaining as the starter, but I still see Will Hernandez being rotated in. So it's almost like the Giants have joint starters at certain positions as opposed to one guy that's going to get all the snaps all throughout the course of the contest. I'm totally with you on that. I was just curious as far as, you know, we'll see uh, 
who they'll put in. But I like Matt Pert a lot too. I mean, we know Fleming is here on a one-year deal, so I don't know if he's part of the you know, long-term future. Probably not. But Matt Pert's a guy, local kid out of UConn, who I happen to really enjoy watching play as well. I think he's been a real good factor. But um, Lance, we'll go back to the defense here quick. Uh, Patrick Graham deserves a lot of praise. These defensive schemes he comes up with, the rotation of guys there on the line as well. Uh, Leonard Williams obviously leads the defense with six sacks and the Giants only gave up 150, uh, 155 total yards of offense in this game against the Bengals. Bernard and the running game, I mean, Bernard did have limited touches, but they only gave up 40 rushing yards. The defense was good against the run. The Bengals were only 30% on third down, so I think they the defense filled in a lot of those check marks to win this game. And then you look at, it seems like, over the past few years, the Giants would seem to just give up a big play, too many big plays at times. This was, I believe, their longest play in this game was, if I'm not mistaken, it was the 18-yard pass to T. Higgins, uh, which is crazy because I, I read a stat somewhere, and I, I believe Hank was the one that actually came up with it. Uh, Hank, you were saying something about how this is the first time since 2013, this is like the shortest big play they've given up in a game. Yes, that's right. Then, and that was a that was a seventeen yard play. I think it was in the game against Detroit where they won in overtime in Week 16, 2013. Yeah, I remember that game. That was definitely an interesting game to watch. Uh, the Giants, the Giants, and the Lions. That was late in the year. And then Lance Brandon Allen wasn't great in this game. Uh, it was a good job overall by the pass rush. I thought they contained Brandon Allen really nicely. I know on that last drive. They were helped out with a couple of penalties by Leonard and uh, Darnay. But I think late in that game, you saw a lot of young – you just mentioned Nico Lalos just a couple minutes ago. Kyler Fackrell left with an injury, uh, a calf injury. He left the game in the third quarter, I want to say. What's his status? I, I know he's on season-ending IR, but do you – like the severity of the injury for the long term and who could potentially see increased snaps? Well, he's on injured reserve. He hasn't necessarily, Tom, been ruled out for the rest of the season. It's right. possible he could return because, remember, when you're placed on IR, you have to miss at least three games, yeah. and there's five games left. So it's possible that he does make a return. I haven't heard anything specifically in terms of the severity. Clearly, though, when you put a player on IR, it means it's a multi-week injury. So I think a lot is yeah. going to depend on the treatment, the rehab process, and so forth whether or not he has a legitimate chance of getting back on the field. And it's unfortunate because, remember, they've already lost Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez for the season. Both of those guys we know are not coming back. And Fackrell's an athletic linebacker, a guy that can attack the quarterback. He also can tackle in the open field. So don't overlook that loss. That's a significant loss. He's really been a nice key component of this defense, and that's why they're going to need players like Nico Lelos to step in and provide a mix of somebody that can, once again, provide some pressure, but also drop back and help out the secondary because Fackrell was definitely that versatile player. In terms of, you know, your point about the defense overall, yes, once again, Brandon Allen is not a pro bowler, but here's the thing. That's the type of defensive performance you should put forth against a quarterback 
that is a backup who was just called up off the practice squad. So, you know, that's a big check mark for the Giants defense. You're supposed to take care of business against teams that you figure are going to struggle offensively. If you go back to this last Bengals game, the defense, to me, put its stamp on this victory because the defense cleaned up every time the special teams had a mishap or the offense had to give the ball back to the Cincinnati offense. So the Giants defense answered the call. And as far as third downs, early in the season, third down was the Achilles heel. They had trouble getting off the field on third down. And what's amazing is, let's take it a step further. You threw out the statistic, the Bengals are 3 of 10. Well, the Eagles are 0 for 9. So that means in the last two games, the opponent has gone 3 of 19 on third down. Now, that also says a lot about a vast improvement in the Giants' defense, the ability to force three and outs, the ability to hand the ball back to the offense. We were not seeing that very often early in the season. Yeah, sorry there. I got my names mixed up between Fackrell and Zimenez. Zimenez is on season-ending IR, not Fackrell. He's eligible to, ter- to return week mm-hmm. 16, as uh, we were saying earlier in the show. Uh, I like your analysis there, too. Um you know, about this defense overall. Uh, Thackrell had three sacks. I mean, you know, it, it stinks. He was really good. He had that touchdown against the Cowboys. Uh, and then, Hank, I know um, the Graham Gano sig- significance, him being able to come back and play was really big. Yeah, I would say Graham Gano has been one of the more vital members of the Giants. And, yeah, you know, he's been – He's been money with in terms of field goals. What does he have? Like 24 consecutive at the moment? Yep. Which, as crazy as it sounds, that's not even his longest streak. He had, he had 28, <laughs> I think, when he was with the Panthers. And since um, – I'll give you another fun fact, by the way. Since 2017, I think he's been 58 for 62. There was another f- field goal he kicked, under, kicked in that stretch. May have been a record, but we don't talk about that one. That happened against us. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, that ended a game against the Giants, and the Giants remember that. Absolutely. Yeah, but um, let's talk about him. He, would you, where would you rank him in terms of like players on like offensive production this year? Like, how, how valuable would, like, would you say he's been? Oh, extremely valuable. Yeah. Go back to early in the season, and this, by the way, is another indication of how far the team has come along. The Giants were 4 of 16 in the red zone as we try to one-up one another in terms of statistical analysis here <laughs> the program, okay? You guys have your stats. I got plenty of stats to throw your way too. So four of 16. Well, if you get into the red zone 16 times, guys, just think about this. You only walk away with four touchdowns. It means you're kicking a lot of field goals, right? And when you yep. know Gano has been automatic, at least you're walking away with something. And they weren't always walking away with something. Remember, a lot of those missed opportunities were because of Daniel Jones and Giants turnovers. But – The fact that they were struggling in the red zone, you at least knew, okay, we'll salvage it. We'll walk away with three points. Now, over the last few games, they are all of a sudden 10 of 14 in the red zone. So the good news is they're punching it in more often than not. But Mm -hmm. Gano, regardless of the distance, the confidence that Judge has, he's not going to hesitate. If it's a 50-yard field goal attempt, he'll consider it. Remember, Gano's one miss was against the Chicago Bears. That was it. That's his lone mishap. That's it. So you know you sending him out, more often than not, you feel good about your chances of walking away with points. So yeah, when you ask me about, well, where would I rank Graham Gano? I would say this. Graham Gano has been a weapon for the New York Giants, okay? He's not a kicker. He's not a special teams player. He's a weapon when you have that type of reliability. And that had not always been the case. 
of course, with Oldrick Rosas, who was their previous kicker. There was that Pro Bowl year for him, and then the follow-up year was not as consistent, was not as impressive. They're not considering that a doubt in their mind. Now, it's interesting we're talking about how great Gano was because, unfortunately, the Giants are coming off by far their worst special team performance. Now, Gano hit four field goals, so he doesn't necessarily get thrown into the mix, but from a coverage standpoint, from a kicking standpoint in terms of feeding it to the opposing team, whether it be punting or kickoffs, it was a very rough go. And, by the way, Jabal Sheard doesn't make that sack and Leonard Williams doesn't recover it. We may be talking about the result of this last game very differently, guys, okay? It was by the chinny-chin-chin that the Giants won this game. And, listen, that's defined their season. Every game, it seems, comes down to the final play. Every game seems to be decided by a few points. And this circles back to your question, Hank. When a game is decided by two points here, three points here, one point here, a missed field goal versus a converted field goal, that's the difference in the ball game. So Gano's right up there. You want to talk about Blake Martinez's arrival, James Bradbury's arrival, Logan Ryan's arrival. You throw Gano in terms of the top five acquisitions this offseason, Graham Gano has to be in that conversation of the guys that they brought in. 100%. Yeah. yeah, I think you nailed it right on the head. Weapon, to be honest, I think weapon might be an understatement. Yeah. Gano, like, he's been the difference between them winning and losing. And, you know, as Tom, you may remember, I said it during the recap multiple times, special teams matter. And I think it was probably the difference between, it could have been the difference between them winning and losing. But speaking of special teams, I want to talk about Nate Ebner. As, as we probably know, he left early in the game with injury, and he wasn't even out there for the 103-yard kickoff turn. How much of an impact was his loss, and how, how important do you see him to the special teams unit? Well, Ebner is an extremely valuable special teams component. That's defined his career, Hank. So there's no doubt about it. When you lose a guy like that, a staple on special teams who could help get guys set and also knows the scheme that Joe Judge and Thomas McGahee want to run, yeah, it was absolutely a notable loss. It's funny you pose that question because Thomas McGahee, the special teams coordinator, spoke to the media today, and he was asked that question. When you go back to the kickoff return by Brandon Wilson, when he returned it for 103 yards and pretty much it parted like the Red Sea and he just went right through the alley, it coincided with Nate Ebner's injury. And even McGahee mentioned it's not so simplistic to say if Ebner's on the field, they absolutely have it covered correctly because there was a lot of breakdowns. You could argue they're a directional kicking team and they gave it to Wilson right in the middle of the field and he was able to have a very good head start and so forth. So I don't want to simplify it, Hank, and say that Nate Ebner coming off the field is why special teams struggle and why a bunch of guys had missed tackles on Alex Erickson's 29-yard return at the end of the game before what I mentioned, the strip sack fumble happened. But, yeah, you lose him, you lose a leader. You lose a guy that I think picks up on the nuances of what the opposition is going to do to attack you. Because if you go back to his New England days, and I had a conversation with Nate Ebner this offseason, and he was being peppered with these questions. Nate, you know, how badly do you want to play defense? How badly do you want to finally be viewed as a safety? And maybe this will afford you the opportunity, right? Because the Giants had young guys back there. You could tell he was chomping at the bit. He wanted to run through a wall to play defense. But he knew, listen, he's made his money based on special teams. And the Giants know that. Joe Judge knows that firsthand. So, yeah, that's his number one priority 
that's his biggest value. Even though he has, in fairness, seen more defensive snaps this season than he's seen in the number of previous seasons combined. So, you know, that has been, I'm sure, something he's welcomed. But his leadership, I think, is the biggest loss, going back to your question, of what you lose when he's not on the field. It's not so much the execution all of a sudden, it goes in the opposite direction. I know it's simple to say that based on what transpired with the Bengals. It's just more of you got a smart, savvy guy that knows the scheme. That's a valuable asset to have on the field who can maybe make the slight adjustment here or there and be an additional voice, an extension of the coaching staff when he's out there. I love special teams, guys. And you brought up Nate Ebner. You brought up Thomas McGahee, um, who – now has left his position. I mean, obviously he left Carolina. Chase Blackburn's down there now, so he's he's been doing a fine job, uh, fine job of the Giants. He was kind of like our Nate Ebner type of player back uh, in the early to mid two thousands when, or the mid to late two thousands when he was there from 05 to twenty twelve. So, Lynch, a couple more questions here about Joe Judge, and then we will uh, wrap this up. So, the Giants win in Cincinnati for the first time in franchise history. And their 700th franchise win. I mean, that's a proud statement. Only two other teams have done that. The Bears and the Packers, obviously. Giants, Bears, and the Packers have been around for ages, uh, you know, over a century. But, um, or getting close to that, I should say. Giants aren't quite there yet. But the Giants are now sitting in first place with five games to go. And, Lance, this feels like for the first time since 2016, uh, this team has won three games in a row. So it's heading into excitement down the stretch in December. Can you talk about the job that uh, Joe Judge, again, we're on the point of special teams, the job that Joe Judge has done and how he's been able to get this team in a position to make these playoffs? Well, I think it goes back to what we had touched on earlier. He is maximizing this roster from top to bottom. And what I mean by that is, especially with some of these guys going down. Saquon went down. Sterling Shepard went down. We mentioned Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez. Okay, well, how is it that the defense seems to be coming together this late in the season when they've lost a number of critical players? And remember, Ryan Lewis, who they played at corner, he went on IR. A lot of movable parts. It's because they played a lot of these young guys early in the season when they were struggling, which then positioned them to be a lot more comfortable this late in the year. People want to throw out culture. They want to throw out all those cliched phrases. And I get it. It's nice to say. But I think this just goes back to the principles of you have 53 guys at your disposal. You have another 16 on the practice squad. This coaching staff has coached up all 70-plus of those players so that when they've lost personnel, they have not missed a beat. And Patrick Graham has tried to find opportunities for all of these guys on defense. And we talked about the offensive linemen rotating. That, to me, is a big reason why the Giants are in this position and probably the biggest impact that Joe Judge has had on this team. But once again, I don't want to give Joe Judge the whole credit. I think the coaching staff overall deserves a lot of credit, too. The positional coaches specifically, you also have a lot of experience. You have a number of people on staff who were head coaches. And I think that's been a valuable asset for Joe Judge so that he doesn't have to hover over everybody. Jason Garrett knows what it takes to run an offense, okay? He doesn't have to have his hand held. Patrick Graham's been a defensive coordinator with Miami. Brett Bielema has been another guy that has run a college team. So, you know, the way he composed the staff, 
the way they're maximizing, once again, the roster, that to me is the reason why they're in the hunt mathematically. Because they're only four and seven. Okay, nobody's throwing a parade. But the reason why the turnaround has taken place is because the growing pains they went through early in this season position themselves to at least feel good about how they could overcome injuries and some of the other obstacles as everybody gets more comfortable with the offense and the defense. That, to me, is the most apparent factor that I would point to why the Giants are in this position, and maybe they had not been doing this in previous seasons. Yeah, Yeah. and I I will say this. Joe Judge is a big reason as to why this is probably the most exciting team since you could probably make the argument that it was 2016. It done a really good job, and – by the way, before I get to my last question, let me give you another fun fact here. The, regardless of who wins this division, this will only be the second team to make the playoffs after having only three wins for the first two games. And let me give you a twofer for this fun fact. The two guys that were involved with that team, the 2014 Panthers, are a part of the NFC East now. The head coach, Riverboat Ron Rivera, and the GM, well, that would be none other than Dave Gettleman. And anyways... For my last question, so let's say the Giants do make the playoffs. I would imagine that you probably give Joe Judge consideration for Coach of the Year in that discussion, would you not? I think he certainly warrants consideration. Whether or not he wins it is a whole other story. I think based on NFL history, it usually goes to a team that has a much better record and also perhaps made a dramatic turnaround. And if the Giants finish with six wins, while it's impressive based on how the team started, I don't know if that's going to be enough, especially if a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers winds up running the table. It's going to be hard to top Mike Tomlin, especially how consistent he's been and how that team brought back its key weapons and how they certainly have met expectations. But, yeah, I mean, I think within a bubble, to your point, within the Giants circle – the job that he's done deserves a pat on the back at worst if you don't get hardware for that because, yeah, this team has certainly come a long way. I I think it's also a product of this division having its struggles across the board. Listen, the Eagles right now are probably saying to themselves, we could have run away with this division if we handled our business. Dallas, with all that talent, is saying the same thing. You know, if they didn't dig themselves in a hole in some of those early games, everybody's playing the coulda, woulda, shoulda game. But the bottom line is the cards fell into place for the Giants, and as a result, they're very much in the thick of things. And now this is going to be the true test because this is now an opportunity to see whether or not you could finish those games against higher-caliber talent and higher-caliber competition because this is going to come down to not how the Giants fared in the division, guys. This is going to come down to how the Giants fare outside of the division because their next four games have nothing to do with the NFC East. you got two In the NFC West, you have two in the AFC North. And all of those teams would be in the playoffs right now if it started. So that's going to be the true test for the Giants. It's not going to be, well, right now they're three and two in the division. That's great. But if you don't handle your business outside of the division, it really becomes irrelevant. I agree 100%. I I think winning games, not just outside of your own division, but against the backup as well. Our one win outside of our division is against the backup quarterback, technically a third string in Brandon Allen uh, behind Ryan Finley. Obviously, Caden Smith, Dante Pettis, and Matt Pert all activated off of COVID-19 IR, expected to return this week. And then, you know, we even touch upon Cam Brown, had a game-saving tackle. He's battling an illness. 
this week. So hopefully he's able to go. Uh, that should be interesting to monitor. Uh, so heading into Seattle again, look, Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, you know, that's a scary combination. Jamal Adams, we talked about Tyler Lockett as well with the eight touchdowns. Uh, Lance, uh, our last question to you here is, you know, I'm just looking at the schedule and how many wins it'll probably take for a team to win this division. And, you know, earlier on in the year, I, I was thinking Eagles six, nine and one. But with the way they've been playing and I'm just I'm lo- looking at their schedule now. I don't even know if they get the five. It's just really difficult for me to see a six win team in the playoffs, but we might, I mean, you might see that depending on, I mean, a lot of people are saying Washington now has the most favorable schedule who we own the tiebreaker over. Who do you think has the best shot right now? And how many wins do you think it might take? Yeah, Washington's an intriguing team. I think that team is also starting to come together, and that's a relatively young roster. Boy, you look at that roster and the lack of experience around Alex Smith, it's truly amazing how far that team has come along. They've got a really good defense, and now they're starting to run the ball with Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. So you know, there's a lot to like from that group. Now, they're playing the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers coming up this weekend. First of all, this entire division has quite the challenge this weekend. The Giants have the Seahawks, Cowboys have Baltimore, and then Green Bay is going to battle Philadelphia. So I don't know if we're going to see much movement at all. It's a week-to-week league. It's a week-to-week division, which I think is better said based on how it fluctuates. But I would say Washington, I think, is certainly intriguing at this point because it's a balanced team. And let's face it, you could argue their quarterback may be playing the best football in this division right now. And sometimes it comes down to who's got the most efficient quarterback. Alex Smith has answered the call. You got to give him credit for that. Carson Wentz is having a rough patch. Andy Dalton just returned between the concussion and the COVID list. And now Daniel Jones is hurt. So for the sake of stability and performance, I think right now you give the edge to Alex Smith in that regard. It's going to come down to, to me, how well this Washington offense performs on a weekly basis, because we've seen weeks where it's anemic. And then we've seen weeks in terms of what they were able to do against the Dallas Cowboys. But I do like how Washington's playing the Cowboys. I know they are coming off a bad loss to Washington, but there's still so much talent on that team. And if you want to go based on the paper test guys, the Cowboys have the most favorable schedule compared to everybody else. So if you go based on paper, Dallas has a legitimate shot to get into that 6-7 win territory. A lot has to go right, though. But, yeah, based on performance right now and schedule, I think I'd give the edge to the Washington football team. I would agree. It's just odd It's just odd to even think about that because we did beat them twice. However, we have to pick up a game, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's against you know Baltimore's beginning to look like a winnable game. Uh, Cleveland could be a winnable game, but – I mean, they're eight and three, so that's, you know, record-wise, yeah. yeah, that their defense is fantastic. So, uh, yeah, for the Giants, they're going to have to pick up games that a lot of, I mean, that Baltimore game, nobody was expecting us to even compete in that, but now it's beginning to look like it might be an interesting game. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, Lance, anything you would like to add here before we uh, sign off? Well, I think we covered just about every single aspect. I think it's exciting to see this NFC race come down to the wire. We haven't necessarily seen it with this type of depth. I can't remember the last time where you could say all four teams had a legitimate shot to win the division. So I think from a pure football standpoint, 
that's an exciting element in play. But it once again, it comes down to can this Giants defense continue to perform at a high level as they now go up against higher caliber quarterbacks? And can the Giants run the football and protect the football on offense? Those are the three things. If those get check marks week in and week out, the Giants are going to be in all the games and they're going to have a legitimate chance to win. If it fluctuates, it's going to become more of a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type of feel. And you know that's a flip the coin type of mentality. Right now, it's encouraging the results, but this is going to define the season. These next four games against playoff caliber teams, we're going to get a better gauge and a better idea of whether or not the Giants coming to this point was a result of the opposition or was a result of just, hey, they can hang with anybody and you don't have to question that. Agreed 100%. It's going to be interesting down the stretch. Those These next four games are going to be very key. All teams that are going to be tough matchups. Lance, we wanted to thank you tonight for joining us on the show here. Hank and I really appreciate it. And uh, go Giants. Let's uh, Let's hope for the best going into Seattle on Sunday. Absolutely. Well, guys, thanks for having me on the program. Always enjoy talking football, talking Giants football specifically. And uh, thanks so much for having me on. Appreciate it. Anytime, Lance. No problem. Thank you. You got it. Take care, guys. Take care. That was Lance Meadow, New York Giants, WFAN radio host and host of the Big Blue Kickoff podcast on Giants.com. Hank, uh, what were your thoughts? Lance was great. Really enjoyed his insight and his angle. You know, he, he used a lot of those creative terms and how um, you know, he likes to describe things as far as from an analyst perspective. I know he's pretty much looking at this film and stuff every single day. So, you know, he's, uh, he's something else. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is a guy who definitely knows this football when it comes to the giants. And I like you, I've listened to a little bit of this podcast and not to mention usually I'll be in the car sometimes, like watch listening to the the post game stuff. I really enjoy what he does and him interacting with the callers. And I, I'm really Lance. If you're still listening or watching this, I really appreciate having you on you taking the time out of your day to join join us on the show. And I also want to say I love that you were able to go back and forth with the fun facts too with us. That that was hundred percent. <laughs> out there tom <laughs> we still have a couple more to bring up i actually but, um, missed this comment from uh lee i'm so sorry lee uh hey peeps i missed part of the conversation but now daniel jones is injured a lot and people are worried but for the last year everyone jumped on the bandwagon of jones is horrible do you think they are now do you think now they are winning people forgot their insults of jones or was it immediate bandwagon everyone fell off um, <laughs> Okay, so um, I think the media has portrayed Daniel Jones to not be, you know, a very good NFL quarterback. But uh, let's say this. Daniel Jones has progressed since the first few Mm -hmm. weeks of the season. The defense was keeping us in a lot of these games. Daniel Jones was not. His performance wasn't good ever since the Tampa game. Ever since that Tampa loss, Daniel Jones has gone from a bottom five quarterback to a top 15 to 20 quarterback, I would say. And I think right now a lot of the fans are starting to see that, hey, look, this guy could be a part of the future. I've never lost faith in Daniel Jones. Uh, There was a point in time where I'm saying, look, if he doesn't cut his turnovers later on in the season, at least by half, we may have to consider moving on and looking elsewhere. Uh, I'm that type of guy. I like to have a three-year window for a quarterback to really prove themselves. And I think right now we've seen Daniel Jones is going to be here 
at least through the rest of his rookie contract and potentially longer. And, you know, we kind of got spoiled with Eli Manning for a while. And now that Jones has heard it, it sucks. I mean, Colt McCoy is going to start and uh, Clayton Thorson's probably going to be promoted to be the backup for Sunday in particular because of COVID. We know Hank, the Giants spoke with Alex Tanney, former practice squad and third string quarterback for the Giants and Joe Webb, who fun fact, Joe Webb actually started a, uh, a playoff game for the Minnesota Vikings uh, a few years ago. So he that's also intriguing. played a Tuesday night football game, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> he Tuesday night game and he beat the Eagles in a blizzard like conditions. He got me there. Yeah. I totally forgot about that one. Joe Webb has been around the block a few times, but I think they're bringing Tanny in. He knows the system. He was there in the off season. I think Tanny meets all the COVID protocols because he's from New Jersey. So geographically, it makes sense for them to bring in Alex Tanny over Joe Webb. Although I do see the argument for Webb where they like his versatility as a quarterback. In the event of an emergency, he can play quarterback. He can play a little slot. He can come in. He can be a wide receiver as well. So this is a guy and he can play special teams. It's just something coach Joe Judge loves. So, you know, to not give uh, Joe Webb some serious consideration, that would be silly. I think he's earned that as well. Uh, from these interviews, they like both guys, but I think they're going to bring in Tanny. Um, you know, looking at this preview for the Giants-Seattle game, we know that uh, Nico Lelos actually reverted back to the practice squad after his performance. And, uh, you know, a lot of these bringing the three COVID guys back and Caden, uh, Pettis, and um, Pert, that resulted in the termination of Ryan Santoso and Monte Hardage from the practice squad. So Santoso. I don't know if they're going to re-sign them, but definitely not for this week. Um, they like Santoso because he's a kicker slash punter. But I will tell you guys this. The injury report, it's a little scary. Nate Ebner limited in practice this week, and this isn't just including Daniel Jones. We know there's a 95% chance Jones will not play this week, and I'm saying that with a full head of confidence there. Nate Ebner has been limited in practice. David Mayo has been limited in practice with a knee injury as well. That's an injury we didn't even talk about with Lance Hank. Uh, Sterling Shepard battling a toe and a shoulder injury. And we talked about Slayton. Well, why did he have no catches? Well, Slayton's been battling injuries the last few weeks. He has a shoulder and a foot injury, which that affects you catching the ball, and that affects you running routes. And that's probably why he wasn't able to haul in that other that catch earlier in the game on the same drive where uh, Ingram fumbled it. Yeah. No, I, agree. I mean, to be honest with you, I think if he were fully healthy, he probably would have dove for that ball and they would have gotten the first down. That's a little bit of detail. We didn't really pay too much attention uh, attention to um, earlier on in the show. But, I mean, we got to talk about these Seahawks, too. I mean, they're battling injuries. They just beat Seattle on Monday Night Football 23-17. to That win by Seattle over Philadelphia, folks, it kept the Giants in first place. If Philadelphia beats Seattle... Philadelphia would have been four, six, and one. The Giants are four and seven. They still would have been in first place by half a game. And thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Uh, Tommy DeMac McNamara. Uh, loved doing a lot of shows with him back in the day with Brian Marbach um, out in Long Island in the studio. Uh, Tom, we hope to have you on as a guest in the future as well. Talk about uh, talk about your Jets on the review and preview show. But anyway. Seattle's number one defensive lineman right now is Carlos Dunlap. We all know that. Jaron Reed is good. I mean, they have a couple of young guys on that line. The meat and potatoes of their defense, it comes in the second level and then the third level, the linebackers and the secondary. Carlos Dunlap has been battling 
a uh, sore foot this week, and then you're going to like this, Hank. There is a guy in the end of Tom Coughlin's tenure that always committed boneheaded, dumb penalties on special teams. If you remember him, his name is Demontre Moore. Yes, he's still in the league. He's on the Seattle Seahawks roster. He was so talented. He's a third-round pick, and he just couldn't find his footing in this league. And (laughs) He's on the commissioner exemplist. He's suspended, so he can't play. Um, Shocker, right? That's the name that I kind of sort of tried to forget about. Yeah. yeah. There's some names you just try not to remember. That's one of them. And you know what's crazy? I was looking more into the series all the time. The series is tied 9-9 nine to nine between the Giants and the Seahawks. Um, the Giants have only beaten the Seahawks three times since they switched to the NFC in 2002. Uh, the last time the Giants beat the Seahawks was Week 9 in 2010. It was a 41-7 to seven win when they were facing, again, another backup quarterback in Charlie Whitehurst. This was fact, that was that was his NFL debut, by the way, Charlie Whitehurst. It was. Yep, I remember that. It was awful. This was the pre-Russell Wilson era, folks, like two years before it. Uh, you know, I, look. Go ahead. And that Seattle team somehow won the division. Yeah. No, you're right. It's funny how we're incorporating that Seahawks team. That in was, and, you know, back to – Back back to Tommy Mack's point before, that was the seven and nine Seahawk team that made the mm-hmm. playoffs and won. They beat the Saints at home. That was the crazy Marshawn Lynch earthquake game. Quick. Where he ran through the whole state of uh Louisiana. But yeah. Um Actually the I, game was played in Washington, but you're right. What? The game was played in Washington. Yeah, but you you know what I meant. They're playing against yeah, I know, the they're Saints. playing the Saints. We <laughs> ran through the whole city of New Orleans on that play. But um <laughs> Seattle's 10-point favorites in this game. They're 5-0 and at home, so you know this figures to be a tough matchup. The Giants are 2-4 and on the road, and Lance mentioned before, the rest of their division also has tough matchups. You have Philadelphia against Green Bay, uh, Washington against Pittsburgh, and then Dallas against Baltimore. But, Hank, you brought up a real interesting fact before. Uh, Seattle's largest margin of victory this year was 13 points against Atlanta. That was in week one. Correct. And their second largest margin, there's only been one other game where they've won by two scores. That was the game they won against the 49ers. I want to say, what week was that? Was that week eight? Week seven? I want to say week seven, but I'm I'm not 100% certain. I think it was week seven. I'm not 100% sure either, but that was their only win by two scores and 10 points. That's their second largest margin of victory. It goes to show you how bad their defense is, but it also goes to show you how much Russell Wilson has really carried that team. And that's not really anything new. If you look at the team last year, the Seahawks didn't have a very high with, high point differential. And you want to know why that was? Because Russell Wilson won them a lot of close games. And you could very well argue that he should have very well been in the NFC Championship. Yeah, you could definitely make that argument. And by the way, it was week seven. That game, and you know, Lance brought up keys to the game. We have to establish a run. Uh, Carlos Dunlap had four sacks in four games, so that's going to be big. We cannot get one dimensional in our offense. The Giants have 113.4 rushing yards per game, that is 15th in the NFL. This could eventually turn into a top 10 rushing attack in the NFL, as uh, your friend Mike says hello. How's it going? Uh, Michael John Legerio, thank you very much for commenting. Um, and then the Giants, the, they have to stay out of third and long. 
they they have to. That's that's a big 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 uh, key component to this game, and it all starts with protecting Colt McCoy, picking up blitzes successfully, winning the turnover battle. Um, we know the Giants' defense has. 18 takeaways, Hank. That's tied fourth in the NFL. And this is the stat Lance Meadow brought up on his Twitter. The turnover battle. In the first uh, eight games, we were minus five in the turnover department. Last three games, plus seven. It'll, it had, Look, it helps that all of our opponents were in the minus that we've played recently, the last three to four weeks. But um, our next four opponents are all in the plus. And we're going to have to pick up a win somewhere, whether it's against Seattle folks, Arizona, Cleveland. Uh, I know there's another team in there I'm missing. I know we have to play Baltimore and Dallas. I can't remember the other team at the moment. but um, Cleveland's. Cleveland, Seattle, Arizona. Oh, yeah, there's only five games left. Yeah, yeah. these next four games, we got to pick one up. It's plain and simple. So that's going to be interesting. We have to keep Russell Wilson off the field. We talked about this before. Seattle is the number three scoring offense in the league, but they're 26th in points allowed. So if we can run the football efficiently with Wayne Gallman, move the chains and protect Colt McCoy, there's a chance. I'm not, look, I'm not saying the Giants are going to win this game. I think it's very unlikely, but there's there, there's a chance. There's a possibility uh, Seattle has, uh, you know, I don't like to use the word fraudulent, but that's what they've been lately. They've been a team that, you know, is right on the cusp of saying they're a championship contending team, but their defense is not. It's not. Uh, we have to apply pressure. We're tied 11th in the league in sacks and fifth in quarterback hits. So that helps. And then Hank, Seattle's very inconsistent running the football. I, I don't, they have Chris Carson, but, uh, you know, his, He's also a good pass catcher, but they kind of do a running back by committee thing with Carlos Hyde and DJ Dallas. It's kind of like a different guy just comes out each game. Now, I know their backfield has been banged up the, the last month or so, but the thing is the Giants stopped the run, and Seattle's a similar team where their rushing attack sets up the passing attack. They like to run on first and second down. Uh, unless they're, you know, I know Russell Wilson does throw the ball a lot now, but they're still they still like to establish a running game. The Giants stop the run. They, in fact, we've allowed the fifth fewest rushing yards in the NFL per game this year, and it all starts with guys like Blake Martinez with the 101 tackles, Dalvin Tomlinson, 59 straight starts in the NFL. I actually, yeah, yeah, him and Nick Gates are the only two players to not, uh, you know miss a a start over the past two years since they've started playing so it's been insane to just process that and think about it i've been getting on i think when you stop the run it helps you get off the field on third down because you you put them in third and long and that's what you want russell wilson in although he he is very difficult to stop so i think patrick graham's and that that's where losing fackrell is big they're gonna have to disguise some type of scheme you hope cam brown plays because then you're down to jabal sheard and carter coughlin (laughs) <laughs> we don't yeah. want that because, quite yeah. frankly, I, I I like Carter Coughlin. I think he's a natural-born pass rusher, but he, he's he's also a seventh-round draft pick. And you know, Zimenez, Carter, Fackrell, none of them are going to play. I don't know how we're going to be able to rush Russell Wilson. There's a lot of pressure on Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. Those guys are going to have to come up big, Hank. Uh, 
and getting off the field on third down is always one of your biggest keys to the game. Well, not only that, but like keep Russell off the field as much as possible too. I to expand on that. Yeah. This guy, no, I agree. One of the more dangerous quarterbacks in the league and it shows it's no accident that he pretty much carried the Seahawks to a lot of wins. Be in other words, in short, just be careful of him. And also be careful of one of his best weapons in DK Metcalf. 58 receptions on the year for 1,039 yards, which I believe leads the NFL. He said he had 10 catch for 170 yards in the Monday night game, and he's had at least eight games with 90-plus 90, 90 receiving yards. To put it simply, James Bradbury is going to have his hands full with this guy. He is. He is. And, you know, look, Bradbury's been great this year, but this is going to be a challenge. Metcalf – Leads the NFL in receiving yards. The big game on Monday Night Football against Philadelphia. Eight games with at least 90 receiving yards. You know, we're sitting here, we're looking at it. Russell Wilson's never lost to us either. He He's won all three matchups against the Giants. I know he's been sacked a lot, but PFF has him ranked third in the NFL. I mean, I think he's a top two quarterback. I think he's a top two quarterback in the league right now. I mean, this is just my opinion, but I think so far this year it's – Mahomes, then Wilson, then Rodgers. Um, Our good yeah. friend Paul will appreciate you for saying that, by the way. What's that? Our good friend Paul Lombardi will appreciate you for acknowledging Pat Mahomes as number one. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you have but to you're please, not wrong, though. I agree. You have to please the kingdom a little bit. But <laughs> another thing is the Giants, again, you know, winning that time of possession ba- battle, it's big. Uh, the Seattle defense gives up the most passing yards in the NFL. Their defense is suspect, uh, and it's key that they have to have a guy like Jamal Adams in there. Uh, big game against Philadelphia. Wentz was sacked six times last week, although over the last few weeks the defense has started to come into their own. Jamal Adams, fun fact, he is the first defensive back with three plus with six-plus sacks uh, in multiple seasons since the stat has become a stat. So that's that's very interesting. And in seven games played, you get six and a half sacks, sacks from the safety position. That tells you something right there. And he had two sacks in the game when he was a Jet last year against us. That's right. So, you know, we have trouble with him. So you would hope that the Giants are able to block and not allow any extra pass rushers in the face of Colt McCoy. Bobby Wagner is another guy on the defense. I, I view him as a slightly older version of Blake Martinez. He's a future Hall of Famer, in the words of head coach Pete Carroll. Uh, he ranks first among linebackers in the following PFF categories. Overall defense, run defense, and pass rush from the linebacker position, and he is 15th in coverage. Uh, K.J. Wright is also very solid in coverage, but, Hank, it seems like Bobby Wagner's been there forever, and he's a guy that Seattle just – Really, really loves. I mean, this team has so many weapons, top to bottom. I mean, offense, Metcalf, Wilson, Lockett, who has eight touchdowns. David Morris, five touchdowns. Wagner, Wright, and Adams on the defense. Where does it stop? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a very tough matchup for the Giants for sure. And um, you know, speaking of Seattle's Matt Seattle's guys, let's talk about some of the players that we should watch out for for the Giants. I would say one of them is an obvious one in. Uh, James Bradbury, who, as we said, he's going to have his hands full when it comes to, de- to covering uh, DK Metcalf. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think that's going to be a key matchup. I think Logan Ryan as well. Uh, he's real. He's been a real nice piece. The three force fumbles tied second in the, in the league. 
the eight passes defended, the 65 tackles. He had the pick as well. And then uh, I think these two, I think the highest impact player on offense for the Giants and the highest impact player on defense for the Giants this week need to be these two men. Why? I would have to agree with them that for sure. Evan Ingram's a guy. Let, let's just say I hope we can get the good Evan Ingram this week. Yeah. You know, the one we had just minus the drop. Yep. And Leonard Williams, that guy's a baller. He has, he has put a lot of pressure. Like, we pointed it out early in the show. Like, actually, not even just this show, other shows. We pointed out how he's indirectly caused interceptions with the pressure he puts on the quarterback and some of and sometimes he tips the balls. He, he's been one of the real heroes of this def- defense for sure, and I think he's going to be definitely someone that will that Seattle's going to have to keep their eye out for. He has. He has 100%. So, um, yeah, leads the team in catches. I mean, he's he cra- crazy, and he's only three catches away from 200 career receptions. And, Hank, um, we had a little fun fact about that. He would become the sixth Giants tight end to accumulate 200 career receptions. I believe the others were Bob Tucker, Aaron yeah. Thomas, Mark Bavaro, Howard Cross, and your favorite, Jer- Jeremy Shockey. Uh, actually, no. I think you meant – I think you mean this guy's my favorite. But, yeah, I do like Jeremy Shockey. Mark Bavaro is my favorite as well. By the way, he went to Notre Dame. So, uh, go, I- go Irish. Um, yeah. Let's make our predictions for this. Oh, and by the way, I didn't mention Ingram is one of the four pre-Gettleman players on this roster. Let me see if I can name the other three. Sure. Shepard. Yep. He's the longest tenured, by the way. Yep. Wayne Gallman. Yes. And I want to say Dalvin Tomlinson. Hank, you would happen to be correct. Tomlinson was a 2017 draft pick. Uh... Yeah, so him and Ingram were our first two picks in 2017. So uh, That's crazy. I can't believe it's that long ago. I think, I mean, the Giants have decisions to make on these guys this year. The 2017 guys are up. We extended Shepard in the middle of the season last year. Which of these 2017 guys are we going to keep? I don't know if there's a way to keep Ingram, Tomlinson, and Gallman on the team. The Giants want to re-sign all three of them. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I think Ingram is the guy you can say they're for sure going to keep. We've seen what Giants have done with defensive tackles in the past. They don't stick here. Dalvin Tomlinson, I hope he does stick here, but I don't know if he will. Uh, It's going to be very difficult to keep him, Leonard Williams, Evan Ingram, Logan Ryan, Wayne Gallman. I mean, you're not really setting yourself up to bring in a key piece in free agency. I mean, those are probably the guys you're going to have to keep. I don't see many outsiders coming in this off season in free agency. If that helps, this is a young team. And I think you got to stick with what you got. Don't bring any more players in, in the off season, unless, you know, there's somebody out there that fits a position of need. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you think there's one guy in particular that you think for sure the giants are going to keep? I mean, I I think it's Ingram. I think they're invested in him. Yeah, I think given the talent he has and given like the propensity he has for making a big play, I think I think they really believe in him. I, I would not be shocked at all if they kept him. Maybe there's a chance we get Tomlinson, but at, like you said, given our track record, looking at the Barry Cofields, Linval Josephs, and the Cornelius Griffins of the past, 
I, I just don't know how. I just see it as yet another defensive tackle Jack get away. I'm leaning towards no with Tomlinson. I'm yeah. leaning towards yes with everyone else. Uh, that includes Wayne Goldman. I think the Giants are going to re-sign him. I, I, I don't. I don't know for sure, but I think I'm leaning slightly north of fifty percent. They'll re-sign him. Uh, Hank, let's make our predictions for the Seattle game before we sign off. Uh, you can go first. So, by the way, for all you guys who want to like bet on this game or gamble, I would advise you to take the Giants to cover. Just wanted to say. Seattle is not a team that you can really trust with defense. We've seen a lot of high-scoring games involving that team, whether they win or lose. And put it simply, if you notice the pattern of Seahawks games in the past few years, I think it's going to be a really close one. I'm going to say the final score, unfortunately for me, I'm going to have to say 29 to 25 Seattle. Okay. I have a weird feeling it's going to be somewhat higher scoring than other giant games in the past. So you think a lot of points are coming this week for Seattle? Yeah, I just have a weird feeling given the fact that the Giants have played a lot of low scoring games. I feel like this game's due to just be a a higher scoring one. So I think the Seahawks are going to win as well. I think the Giants don't score. I think 25 is too high for a Colt McCoy-led offense unless the Giants' defense sets uh, the offense up in the red zone like they did a lot last week. And even then, against the lowly Bengals, uh, they were only going to come up with field goals when McCoy was in there. So I think 23-16 is my score. I think Seattle's going to win. Uh, I don't see the defense giving up 29 points. I mean, it could happen. Uh, it depends because, you know, we head into this game with the expectations are not high for us in this game. And right. this is actually a good thing. We're expecting to lose this week. We expected to lose in Tampa Bay, and look what happened, right? So you go in with that mentality expecting to lose against a good football team. Uh, the Giants will probably cover this week. Yeah. They're going to cover, but I don't think they're going to win. I yeah. think Seattle's going to win. I think the Giants will remain in first place. I think we will be on the show next week at this time talking about the Giants in first place at 4-8. and eight. Why? Because the entire division will lose this week. And... I hope you're right about all that with the. <laughs> but as one of my mantras is, I would rather be, I would rather be happy and wrong than be right, right and unhappy. Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. But Hank, thanks for the time tonight. Any uh, any any final thoughts? Tom, as always, it is a pleasure talking Giants football with you. I had a lot of fun talking to Lance about about the Giants and. Uh, Having him and I go back and forth with the fun backs, that was awesome. I loved it. And, yeah, no, this was a lot of fun. And, uh, Lance, I, yeah, I know you're probably not still watching this, but thank you again for taking the time out of your day to join us and talk football and give us some of your insight. You provide a lot of very great information, very smart, and I can't wait to listen to you post-game after um, the next Giant game. And, Tom, once yeah. again, as always, thanks for having me. No problem, Hank. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Lance was great tonight. Really appreciate him. Remember to go subscribe to our YouTube channel at Reeving Preview Sports to check out our exclusive interview with Lance Meadow in case you missed it. On behalf of Hank Conductor, I'm Tom Scavetta saying so long. We'll see you all next week. You've been watching Big Blue Avenue here on Facebook Live. Good night, everybody.